following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Brother Phil will preach to us this morning. Matthew chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Thank the Lord for his word. So if you're a visitor, thank you. Good to have you. Good to have you guys. Good to see George and Crystal. Need to find a less slopey pulpit. It's good to see you guys too. It's good to have everybody. That has been a, uh, a trying few months as we've jostled in and out of services and we've been on screens at home or, or whatever it might have been and uh, I certainly appreciate being back together with you Friday night. We were able to do youth Bible study again and I look forward to seeing that continue to grow uh, over the next few weeks and, and months as we continue to get back to some sort of normal. Uh, keep praying that we can do exactly that. This morning uh, I'm going to try and wrap up the series that we've talked about over the last four weeks. To try and bring it sort of to a, a conclusion and, and Brother John is going to step in next week uh, and take over the preaching. So this morning I, I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into this and, and I, I beg you this morning, I ask you this morning, don't just approach this, don't approach what we've been talking about just as another son, another speaker that we hear from, another message that's in our list of message, another series of notes that we've written in our Bibles or on a notebook somewhere, but that we would take what God has given to us this morning and we would reflect on it seriously, we'd think seriously about it convicted through this week over and over and over again as, as I studied that 
just be words, concepts, theoretical stuff. This can't just be that. This has to be something that we take from writing and we apply to our hearts and our lives. It has to make a difference. Thanks. I'm checking the mic. The mic works good. All right. So let's pray. Uh, and then let's jump into the Word of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Father, there are so many aspects to life that we take for granted. The very fact that I wake up in the morning and there is still oxygen coming in and out of my lungs. And through the night as I slept... I didn't even have to think about that. Father, the fact that I can get up and walk and wash my face in water, uh, Father, just that life keeps going and we take that for granted. Father, my fear is that in my own heart, in my own mind, as I reflect on my life, that I take for granted your word and the impact that you have on my life as well. So, Father, this morning, as we once again study your word, Father, the concepts wouldn't just be concepts. The theories wouldn't just be theories. But, Father, as we look at these things, we would realize that this is us, that we are children of God, that we are foreigners separated from our heavenly kingdom. They were soldiers that need to be engaged in a battle, in a war against sin, moment by moment. Father, that we are ambassadors for you. And Father, how we reflect you, how we lift you up to the people that are around us has an impact. Father, this morning as we study this, give us tender hearts. The things that are distracting us, Father, I pray that this morning you would melt those things away. For the next 45 minutes, the next hour, our hearts, our minds would be focused on you. In your name, amen. Brother John turned us to Matthew, so I want you to hold your finger in Matthew there, but also go over to Daniel. Yes, we'll be in the Old Testament a bit this morning. Go over to Daniel, just Daniel chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to step over there in just a little bit. As I said a minute ago, this morning I'm going to attempt to sum up the past four weeks. In delving into the first two chapters of 1 Peter, we've looked at four positional truths that we as believers shouldn't just understand conceptually, but we must, with our hearts and our minds, endeavor to apply them to our lives. If we want to grow spiritually, if we want to move from the milk to the meat, we must take these things seriously. As a function, we are designed to glorify God. As, As humans, we are designed to glorify God. We saw initially that as children of the King of Kings, the Word of God is essential for our growth. 
We saw that because we've been adopted into the family of God and, and we are co-heirs with Christ, we are foreigners here on this earthly kingdom. We realize that we are foreigners not because the world has disowned us, but because God has accepted us because of what He's done through Christ. As children of the King of Kings, as foreigners in this earthly kingdom, we are to stand and fight. But not fight against one another. This isn't a fleshly battle. We're to stand and fight against the sin that so often impacts us. In that fight, there is victory when we fully surrender to the Father. Finally, we saw that as children of the King of Kings, as co-heirs with Christ, in a foreign land, fighting sin, we are ambassadors representing the King of Kings. So, to sum it up, to, to bring it all into, to, I guess, a, a picture of who we are meant to be. We're foreign soldiers children representing the King of Kings who must be absolutely dependent on the Word of God and dependent on our relationship with God. That's us. We're children of the King of Kings. We're soldiers. We're ambassadors. And we're foreigners here. And we have to grab that and we have to apply it to our lives. It can't just be a concept. It can't just be a bedtime story. And when we can grab hold of this, when we do grab hold of this, when we apply it to our lives, it will make a difference. When I am most dependent on God, when I'm most satisfied in God, that is when I am best able to glorify God. But when it's about me, meeting my needs, satisfying my flesh, I can't glorify God. This morning, in rounding out this study, I think the best thing that we can do, I think the best way to wrap this up is to look at a couple of biblical examples so that we sort of see a picture of, of what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. And in doing that, I hope it does two things for us. One, it shows us it's not impossible. It's not impossible for us to live like we've been talking about. And two, we find hope. We find hope. If we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We spent a lot of time in, in these verses over the last few weeks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope. Our hope 
is not on something that's dead. Our hope is alive. Why? Look at the last part of that. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our Savior is alive. Our hope is alive. So this morning, with hope, let's have a look at these examples. For the first one, turn back to the Old Testament, to Daniel, to a story that every one of you will recognize it. You've heard of it in your Sunday school, sto- school, Sunday school lessons when you were a kid. You've probably told other people these stories. You've probably told your own children these stories. And I think that because we're so familiar with this story, because it's a Sunday school story, when it comes time for us as adults and we look at this, we skip over it. And we go, that's a cool story from the Old Testament, but I can't see a lot that applies to me. Come with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We'll start there. We're going to move all the way through this chapter, and I'm going to break it up as we go. But I want you to look at this story in the context of, in the picture of what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. So we talked about being a child of God, and as a child of God, I must desire the sincere milk of of the word, yeah? But I can't stay in the milk. I need to move on to the meat. We talked about the fact that we are foreigners here on earth and that our, our hearts, our kingdom is with God. We talked about the fact that we are soldiers and we must be fighting sin. And last week we talked about the fact that we are ambassadors here on earth. So when we read this story, I want you to think about those and look at these, this story from that perspective. Daniel 1.1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon unto Jerusalem besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. With part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure houses of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenza, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. We'll pause there for a moment. I think we often brush this portion of the story off. Often when we, when we look at the Bible and we, we launch into a new book, we, we sort of brush off the first five, ten verses as the introduction and the meat's going to come after that. But there's a lot in these first five verses that, that sort of set the scene for what's happening and help to build the picture for the rest of the book. Imagine, if you will, that that the city, the city that you live in, has been besieged by an army. What do I mean by besieged? There's a larger army than we can supply surrounding our city, and they are stopping food, they are stopping everything that supplies us, that gives us life from getting into our city. For us in Port Moresby, the power's been cut off. We're not getting food coming in from outside of Moresby, and we need a lot of food to come in because nothing grows here, does it? Yeah? The ground out there is about as good as this floor is to grow stuff. So after a little while, what's going to happen to us? 
We're either going to starve to death, or we're going to surrender, or we're going to go, hey, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to stand up and fight. Yeah? That's the picture that we have here. It's pretty simple. We don't want to starve to death. But we don't have a big enough army to fight for us either. We see in this picture, historians indicate that King Jehoiakim chose to surrender, to look after his own people, and maybe out of a lot of selfishness, he chose to surrender. But in Scripture, we see that it wasn't so much that he chose to surrender. We see there that God gave Jerusalem over because of the sin that was in Jehoiakim's heart. In these verses, we see that the most valuable things to these people were taken from them, stripped from them. Have a look at verse 2. Vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. So we see valuable things pertaining to their religion taken away from them. They brought certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish. All the good-looking kids. I wouldn't have gone. But well-favored and skillful in all wisdom. Maybe I had a chance. Don't laugh at that one. That's not funny. Cunning in knowledge and understanding science. So, so we see this picture. They're surrounded. They just got taken over. And not only do they have that, but now he's taking things that are valuable to them for, from a religious standpoint from them. And he's also taken the most valuable people in their community from them. The nation of Israel has just lost things that are valuable to them, stripped from them. Sons have been stripped from their fathers and mothers. Can you imagine if you were a child and a soldier came into your house and took you away? You have no knowledge of where you're going. You don't know the language that they speak. You don't know if you'll ever be back. Can you imagine how that would have felt? Imagine from the parents' standpoint how that would have felt. But despite that, initially, it doesn't look so bad for these boys that have been taken away. Have a look at the next verse, verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. This is a nice bad guy. Yeah. He's a nice evil villain. He captured them and then took them home and said, hey, I'm going to feed you with the best I've got. He's a pretty nice guy, isn't he? Let's keep going. And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. And at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we look at this guy and we say to ourselves, he's pretty nice. He's not so bad. He's looking after them. He's feeding them from his own table. He welcomed them into his own kingdom with open arms and he spread the table out before them. All they have to do is present themselves well before him after three years. Surely there can't be anything wrong with that. 
surely these men deserved a break. After all, they were taken hostage. They were stripped of their homes and of their families and everything that's valuable to them. And maybe we say to ourselves, if I was in that situation, if that was my position, I would do everything that I could to appease my enemy so that he doesn't beat me, he doesn't kill me, he doesn't continue to take from me. Surely that's okay. I'm going to do everything I can to maintain some resemblance of normality and try and and get some happiness out of this. But there's a hidden agenda here. He's not just being nice because he feels sorry for a bunch of young boys. He's not being nice because he's got a guilty conscience because he just ruined their lives. This guy's smart. This guy knows what he's doing. Let's keep reading verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar at this point has stripped these young men of their identities within their own families. He's taken them out of their homes, out of their country, out of their their kingdom per se, and he's taken them to his own place. He's removed the people from their lives that are supposed to raise them and train them and educate them in how to live as God's children, how to live as children of Israel. He's taken all of that from them. Nebuchadnezzar has devalued their religious institutions. They believed that God was going to protect his own, but now he's come in, not only has he kidnapped them, he's gone into their places of worship and he's taken valuable religious items. He's devalued their religious institutions. He's devalued their family institutions. He doesn't leave it at that. In verse 7, we see he stripped them of their own names. Your name is personal to you. For them, it was even more personal. Their name, names had religious significance for them as individuals. And he's just ripped that out from under them. Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Mishael, who is like the Lord. And Azariah, the Lord is my helper. And he took those names and he gave them names which were to worship the gods of Babylon. He's just crushed everything that they grew up believing was right. He's just crushed what they believe in from a religious standpoint. He's taken their names and he's thrown them on the dirt and he's stepped on them and he's given them names that worship a foreign god. Nebuchadnezzar knew that the greatest way to defeat an enemy was not with the sword. It wasn't lopping off heads. It was through their hearts and their minds. 
He knew that the greatest way that he could defeat his enemies was through their hearts and through their minds. If he could change what they held dear and substitute it with something else, something that was close but not quite the same, if he could change that, if he could devalue their religion, if he could make them understand that while they were not born of Babylon, they were not Babylonians, they weren't so much foreigners either. They were valuable to him. They were part of the king's court. Slowly but surely, he could destroy the Israel inside of them. History has proven time and time again that the best way to defeat a nation is not by killing everybody off. The best way to defeat a nation is by breaking down an individual's belief in the things that make them part of that nation. If you break down the things that are valuable to me as an Australian... You continue to break those things down, I start to search somewhere else. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing to these young men. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to turn them into mindless zombies. He wanted to turn them into valuable members of his kingdom. In short, he wants to get the Israel out of them and the Babylon in them. He wants them to stop thinking of him as the enemy and start thinking of him as a friend. I might not be a family member, but at least I'm a friend. Look, I'm looking after you. I'm doing right by you. And I might interject here. Satan uses the same tactic on us. Satan does the very same thing you and I. If he can convince us that he's not the enemy. Yeah, he's God's enemy. He's God's enemy, but, but I'm, I'm neutral. I'm, I'm sort of somewhere in the middle here. He's not my enemy. I'm not playing that game. He's God's enemy, and it's the two of them against each other, and I'm just stuck here, and sometimes I catch a bit of the flack from it, but I'm not engaged in this war. If he can convince us to think like that, He's already got hold of our minds. The king appears here to hold all the cards. Verse 7, we see that. It looks like he holds all the cards. He's manipulated the circumstances to suit the situation, the outcome that he wants. Have a look at verse 8. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed within his heart that he would not defile himself. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Despite the fact that the odds are stacked against him, despite the fact that the king has stripped everything from him that he held dear, despite the fact that the king has devalued his religious institutions, taking away his family. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He would not surrender his heart to his enemy. Verse 8. 
how God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the patience with the prince of the eunuchs. Notice the fact that it wasn't because Daniel was a good-looking guy. It wasn't because Daniel was smart. It wasn't because Daniel had done everything that he could to appease this guy. He hasn't been groveling. He hasn't been begging. He hasn't been doing all brown-nosing, whatever you want to call it. He hasn't been doing all of that. He's brought into favor. Why? Because God brought him into favor. Daniel knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a foreigner. He knew that he had to take a stand to fight against what was for him sin. He knew it. And he purposed in his heart. Verse 10. And the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed you your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse lightning than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endangered my head to the king. And said Daniel to, to Meltzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, <coughs> and Azariah, prove thy servants. I beseech you ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servant. So he consented to them this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar looked away, took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the day, days, the king had said he should bring them in, and the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It's been three years. They've been doing this for three years. Everyone else around them has given in. Everyone else around them has surrendered their hearts. Everyone else has gone, hey, it's okay if I do this. This is the norm now. This is what everybody else is doing. This is what my friends are doing. This is, this is okay. I fit in. I feel comfortable here. But not these guys. They had purpose in their hearts. They would not defile themselves. Verse 19, the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. These men honored God despite the fact that the easy option, the acceptable option, was to not rock the boat was to toe the line, was to do what everybody else is doing. 
As children of the one true God, they surrendered their will to the Father, not to the lures of the world. And God honored them for that. But most of all, God was glorified because of it. We've talked over the the past four weeks about the importance of protecting our hearts and our minds, and we've talked about some of the ways that we do that. And you've heard me say this before, that the way that we think about God, the perspective in which I view God, impacts everything. It impacts absolutely everything. If my view of God is wrong, my view of myself as a child of God is wrong. If my view of God is wrong, my view of you as a child of God is wrong. If my view of God is wrong, my view of the circumstances of my life, the things that are happening around me, the things that impact me, if my view of God is wrong, my view of that stuff is wrong my view of God is wrong, the way that I deal with sin, the way that I approach sin is wrong. Our view of God, our perspective of God, how we hold God up is so vital. We have to have a right perspective of God. That's why in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If you are not in the word of God, if you are not studying your Bible, if you are not spending time in devotions, how can you have a right view of God? You can't. Don't neglect this. Don't neglect your time in the Word of God. Because in neglecting this, it impacts this. When this is impacted, I cannot approach the world in a way that God would have me do it. Because my view of God is wrong. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If I'm not in the Word of God and my view of God is wrong, how can I apply that verse? How can I think on these things if I'm not first getting into the Word of God? If Nebuchadnezzar could get these young men to think like Babylon, Babylonians, if he could just change their thinking, and they would live like Babylonians, and they'd convince others to live like Babylonians. If Satan can just get us to think for just a moment, I want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in. 
I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to be a foreigner anymore. I don't want to be a soldier. I don't want to be an ambassador. I just want to be like everybody else in the world. It's going to impact everything that you do. He's got hold of your heart and your mind. When we look at the other side of the coin, as these young men thought of themselves as God's children, as they thought of themselves as soldiers, as they thought of themselves as foreigners and ambassadors, they continued to live as servants of the one true God. Same principles apply to us as Christians. As foreigners, our home is with our Heavenly Father. The secret to living faithful lives in this foreign land and bringing the glory to God is that we have to think of ourselves as children of the living God. We have to think of ourselves as foreigners here. We have to think of ourselves as soldiers willing to stand and fight. I will not give in to sin. We have to think of ourselves as ambassadors, willing to go out and represent the King of Kings. Romans 12, 1 through 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? How do we renew our mind? By being in the Word of God, by being constant in prayer, by continually turning back to God. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Come over to Matthew chapter 4. We were there for our scripture reading this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let's have a look at another example here. We're having the wrong mindset. We're having the wrong view of God would have had eternal consequences. Massive ramifications. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was, he was afterwards hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil taketh him up to a holy city and sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain, Showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. 
just like Daniel, we see an attempt by Satan to attack. This time it's against Jesus, the Son of God. Can you imagine the consequences of that had, had Jesus not stood and fought? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the consequences if he hadn't recognized that he was a foreigner? If he hadn't recognized the fact that he was an ambassador? Can you imagine the consequences of that? We see the same pattern here as we saw with Nebuchadnezzar. Satan appeals to his physical needs. He questions his faith in the God that he has believed in. And he appeals to his aspirational desires. And guess what? Satan does the same thing to you and I day after day after day after day. He knows exactly how to target us. He knows exactly where to hit us, where to make us hurt. Things that are valuable to us or are vulnerable. You know, in modern t- interrogation, or sometimes people call it brainwashing techniques, they haven't changed a whole lot across history. Since the time of Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, if you study tactics and you study military techniques and you study all of that sort of thing and you look at the wars across the world Korean War, the Vietnam War, Afghanistan, Iraq. All the way back before that, World War I, World War II, all of those time periods, it hasn't changed. It's the same thing. If you look at Al-Qaeda, if you look at ISIS, it's the exact same techniques. If they can systematically break down a person's values, a person's beliefs, if they can change the way that you think and act, If I can break down what is valuable to you, if I can break down the way that you think, the things that you hold dear, I will change the way that you act. You say to yourself, maybe, I'm no soldier and I'm not in a war and no one's dragging me, kicking and screaming to a foreign land. How does this apply to me? Where do I fit in this picture? The Bible tells us that our enemy, we read this, our enemy, Satan, is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he will devour. He's looking for that opportunity. He's looking for that in. He's looking for us to stop fighting, to surrender our hearts to something else. The attacks of the devil may not be as blatant as Nebuchadnezzar's attacks. They may not be as blatant as Satan's attacks against Jesus. In fact, they will most likely be subtle. He's going to attempt to appeal to your physical needs. He's going to attempt to appeal to the things that that you value, to your aspirational desires. He's going to attempt to devalue what we believe in with regard to God. One of the first things that a captor will do with a prisoner is to isolate them from the things that are familiar to them. That might be people, it might be places. 
And if you have nothing to tie you back to what you believe in, you will soon lose touch with that. And Nebuchadnezzar's first step with, with attempting to brainwash Daniel and the other men was to isolate them from God's influence in their lives. If he could stop them from praying, if he could stop them from worshipping, if he could stop them from just knowing that God existed, he could control their minds. As Christians, it's important for us to understand that our enemy that Satan will do everything to isolate you from anything that draws your heart and your mind to God. Over the past two years, we have faced more separation, more isolation than any of us in our lifetime have ever experienced before. The pandemic has had a bigger impact on Christians than I think any of us realize. The sad truth of it is when we isolate from church we should be getting straight into the word of God as individuals. We should be coming together in our families and worshipping God the best we can. We should be growing in our individual walk with God. But my fear is And I look at my own life, and I know that's not the case. I know that as soon as we get isolated and we get separated from the body, things start to fall apart. Things start to disintegrate in our own hearts. Instead of spending time in the Word every day, instead of studying the Word every day, we let it slip. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, until it becomes foreign to us, until other things start to take place, other things start to slip in. So how are you doing? How's your time in the Word of God been? How's your time in prayer been? Have you been faithful? I'm not talking about just turning on a laptop, a phone, whatever it is on Sunday, and hoping you've got enough credit to be able to watch the service. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about turning on the radio and hoping that there's going to be some Christian music there that's going to encourage you. I'm not talking about that. How's your time in here been? How's your personal time with God been? Because we do not have to be together in this setting for you to have personal time with God. How's it been? How's your prayer life been? Because if we're not in this, if we're not in prayer, we're giving Satan an edge. We're giving our enemy more ammunition to fight against us. We're not surrendering our hearts and our minds and our will to the Father, to the King of Kings. As children, we should be 
We're not acting as soldiers standing and fighting sin. We're certainly not acting as ambassadors. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in the Word of God. So how do we resist Satan and remain consistent in our relationship with God when so often we're being separated? We've got to honor our government. We know that. We've got to honor our government. And when our government says, guys, we're going to do restrictions, we're not letting people go to church, we're not letting stuff do that, what's the first thing we do? Well, we're not going to go screaming at the government and write petitions and carrying on like crazy people. We're going to go, wow, this is time for me to spend more time in the Word of God. This is where I need to be searching my heart. So what do we do? I'm going to give you three thoughts, and these are going to be quick, because I know we've gone on for a while. The first one. We fight Satan. We fight those things that are bombarding our minds through the influence of God's inspired word. We just talked about it. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and in instruction in righteousness. That the man of God—that's you—that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. It means you've got everything that you need. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You may have been separated from the body physically, but you still have access to the Word of God, and you still have direct access to God. Sometimes I think we rush through these points a little bit too fast. So this morning I want to do something different with you. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I'm going to pray. And we're going to get honest with ourselves and with God for just a minute. As we think about the Word of God, the impact that the Word of God has on our lives. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to be quiet. And I want you as an individual to be honest with God. To be honest with yourself. Because we've got to change something. We've got to change something in here. And I know it's not just me. I know it's not just me that needs to change. Heavenly Father, I think if we are honest with ourselves and with you this morning. We have neglected the very things that you gave us that draw us to yourself. So, Father, this morning my prayer is that I would desire the sincere milk of the Word of God above everything else in my life so that I continue to grow spiritually. Now, Father, I'm sorry that I have neglected that, that I've pushed it to the side, that I've found other things to fill that space. 
want you to think about the second one here. We need to be influenced by God's inspired word. But we also need to understand that we can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. It's not some mystical thing, and I think we so often misunderstand, misrepresent this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's a gift from God to you to guide, to give you wisdom, to give you understanding in how to deal with the day-to-day circumstances. You have the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit within you. But so often, I find in my own life, instead of yielding to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I put my hand in His face and I say, I just want this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, But it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things of God which hath prepared them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, that's you, as a believer this morning, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Struggling with situations in life, you're struggling with health, you're struggling with financial situations, you're struggling with relationships, you're struggling with so many different things. And God, through the Holy Spirit, can give us wisdom to deal with those things. But so often in our lives, we don't even recognize that He's there. Heavenly Father, I know that you have given the Holy Spirit to me and that he indwells me. And so, Father, this morning I pray that I would yield my life, that I would yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that we as a body, we would take seriously our relationship with you. Father, that as we stand and fight, we know that the Holy Spirit guides us in that. Father, as we represent you as ambassadors, we know that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom in that. As we study your word as children, the Holy Spirit guides us in truth. And Father, as I struggle with sin in my life, the Holy Spirit is there to convict me, but not just to convict me, to show me what's right. Show me where I should go. So, Father, this morning I pray that in my own heart, the Holy Spirit would make me tender. The Holy Spirit would help me to 
deal with the things that impact my relationship with you. As you're praying there, John 14, 26, for the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. If we are going to stand and fight, if we are going to resist the tactics of the enemy, must yield to the Holy Spirit. Last one this morning. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. While you are focused on your situation, your ability to focus on what God is doing is out of focus. While you are focused on the world around you, focused on the circumstances around you, focused on the stuff around you, you will feel as if you're missing out. While you are focused on past mistakes, past failures, missed opportunities, blessings that God has for you, you're not going to see them. Lift your eyes, adjust your focus, see God for who He is. Psalm chapter 121 verses 1 and 2. This will be our last verse for this morning. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Friends, believers, guard your hearts, adjust your focus, focus on the King of Kings. As believers, we have to live as children of God, knowing that the Word of God has to be our source of nourishment. As believers, we have to live knowing that we are foreigners separated from our kingdom. As believers, we have to know that as children of God, as foreigners here, we're also soldiers. And while we are here as foreigners, we have to fight sin. And we have to know that we are ambassadors. You are an ambassador. As a child of God, you represent God. Lift your eyes. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. 
get into the Word of God. Because if we don't, if we don't, this body will fall apart. We will fall apart. We've got to come together around the Word of God. Let's pray and we'll close for this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And Father, we love you. And Father, despite who we are, despite the fact that we fail over and over and over again, and despite the fact that we turn our backs on you and we neglect you, and Father, we, we sin, despite all that, you are gracious with us beyond measure. Father, our desire this morning and study your word is to do nothing but to glorify you, to do nothing but lift you higher. And Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that that desire would continue to impact our hearts. These are not just concepts and theories, but Father, we would walk away from here knowing that we are soldiers and we have the tools to fight sin and desiring to represent you as ambassadors. Father, what a privilege that is. Father, thank you for the people that are here this morning. Thank you for tender hearts. In your name, amen. Have a great day.